John Tavares doesn't get the hero's welcome in Long Island. Who's to blame and did the fans go too far? Plus, we have more contract extensions and injuries to report, as well as a recap of the worst week in Sense history. Episode 161 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubov. Before we go any further, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Uh, I am, yes. All right. We are at question 49. Just going to find it. Okay. Here we go. Question 49. How many of the Detroit Red Wings Russian Five are in the Hall of Fame? Is it A, two players, B, three players, C, four players, or D, all five are in the Hall of Fame? How am I supposed to know this? Uh, (laughs) I don't even know who the Russian Five are. I know Fedorov um, is definitely one of them. There's there's, uh, Fedorov, there's... Fedosov, there's Larionov, Larionov there's, Vladimir, right. there's Vladimir Konstantinov, and there's Slava Kozlov. Okay. Uh, three of those guys I've definitely heard of, so I'm going to go with three. <laughs> uh, but Fedorov's definitely there. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with three. Up for the second straight week, you got it. Woo! There we go. Can you name the three? Oh, uh, well, Fedorov. Bonus, bonus question, can you name the three? I'll, I'll name them to you again. Okay. It's Igor Larionov, Vladimir Konstantinov, Slava Fedosov, Slava Kozlov, and Sergei Fedorov. Which three are in the Hall of Fame? Uh, Larionov, Fedorov, and... Um, damn it, now I, I'm blanking on the other one. Uh, Fedorov, Larionov, and... Kozlov? It's actually Fedosov, but you got uh, Larionov right, you got Fedorov right. Okay. Well, Fedorov's the obvious one, but well, yeah. And you, and you remember, <laughs> unfortunately, why why everyone remembers the name Konstantinov, eh? Uh, not, not, just, not just because of the oh, career that he had, but remember after uh, they oh, won right. the cup, there was that limo accident, and Konstantinov right. never really played hockey after that, so... He, uh, I, that's right, he, uh, he, um, yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I, I also remember, uh, uh, um, watching, uh, the documentary, uh, the short documentary that, uh, the Red Wings made about, uh, the 1998 Stanley Cup championship and how Yzerman gave the cup to Konstantinov almost immediately after he got it, which was a nice gesture by him, so... Everyone on that Red Wings team was so tight knit and really loved and respected one another. And the, the, those are great times to be a Red Wings fan. But that's that certainly touches not just a lot of hockey hearts that moment with Konstantino and Yarzerman, but it, it, it's it's more than just a Detroit sporting moment. It's it's just a general sporting moment that makes you smile. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. All right, so we're going to talk about Tavares. Uh, his, uh, his 
Uh, finally, he uh, returns home uh, to Long Island, although I guess it's not, now it's not his home. Um, <laughs> his, I guess it was, it was one of those dates that every Islanders fan was marking in their calendars when the Leafs were playing. And, um, mm-hmm. It was kind of a big festival there. Uh, they showed a tribute video for him, and uh, all of a sudden he starts getting booed. They started uh, throwing um, jerseys at him. Uh, they also started throwing snakes at him. Um, yeah, that, that was that was during practice when, or not yeah. during practice. That was during warmups when that happened, and then during the video tribute in in the first period, he acknowledged that the fans and, yeah. and they booed him anyway. Right, yeah, he, uh, there was no cheers in the, the entire time, even when they did show that tribute video, which is kind of funny from the Islanders' part, but yeah. Um, yeah, so he, uh, the fans did not... safe to say the fans are still pretty bitter about what happened in the summer. Um, and then all of a sudden it started getting uh, pretty heated on Twitter and... Um, and everything like Toronto fans were kind of like all boohoo and and all that stuff. And I remember uh, from Greg Wyshynski, he was saying how um, how he was seeing how like there was a lot of comments on his Twitter replies and his articles. Uh, by the way, Greg Wyshynski is a writer for ESPN and uh, he's a very knowledgeable hockey uh, insider. Uh, but like they were. Uh, they were saying how like a lot of Leafs, he doesn't understand why a lot of Leafs fans are comparing this to like to Matt Sundin uh, leaving Toronto or uh, Mark Messier leaving, or Rangers fans were saying that it's like uh, Mark Messier leaving the Rangers. Um, and it's not really the same thing at all. Um, at all, because uh, first off, the, the Leafs and the Rangers were in different situations at the time, especially the Rangers when you know Messier won them the cup, whereas Tavares was not even close to a cup, um, and Matt Sundin, I believe, like they kind of left on uh, like good terms. There it was it's not really the same situation, um, but. Uh, you know, so, so, so then, so that kind of riled me up where it's like, yeah, that's, it doesn't make sense. And then Sean Avery, uh, has this video that goes viral where he, he calls out all the Islanders fans, um, first off for throwing snakes onto the ice. Um, then he claims that Tavares was a great captain for 10 years. By the way, he wasn't a captain for 10 years. Uh, he didn't He didn't even play 10 years. He played yeah. nine. Um, and he wasn't awarded captain like his rookie year. And, yeah, and not like, right away. Later yeah. on he was. Uh, yeah. But then he was saying how like, Tav- like he also said that Tavares never got arrested, which is a funny thing to add on there. Uh, then he called all the Islanders fans losers. Um, and then, uh, and then I'm going to pull out this quote here. What was he supposed to do the entire season? Lie during the season? Or was he supposed to give the answer that all athletes, when they know they aren't going back to a team? So, um, so in this sense, it's like, 
Uh, okay, I guess I should go with my, before we get into the questions and everything, I, I kind of want to, I have this rant in, in, in me right now that I, I need I need to get it out. Let it out. I'll be going on my rant, Bruin sense. just you wait for that. Okay, good. Um, so, on one hand, I understand where Islanders fans are going toward. Well, I understand what, like, why everyone, what, you know, Tavares is, like, why people, Islanders fans are blaming Tavares. Because, like, like he, uh, like, it's one thing if Tavares was like, hey, I'm not going to re-sign in the summer, so this is last summer, or last, last season, he's going, hey, I would rather, you know, I, I'm not going to re-sign with you guys, um, so, like, you can trade me, and I'll remove my no-trade clause, and you can trade me so you can get something out of me, and, um, because I, I want to play for a cup contender, and, and then, uh, uh, but that's not what happened, and that, you know, instead, he, um, you know, in the summer, he waits a long time, and sure, I don't know what Tavares was thinking at the time. There may, it may, he may have actually been on the fence the entire season, the entire summer. But in my mind, I feel like you know, just by posting that picture with him in the pajamas, leaf pajamas, and um, it, it just like and just going home, and the fact that factor that the Leafs. Are in a better situation than the Islanders are. It's just like it makes me think that Tavares was like that was his plan all along, and he uh, so like I don't necessarily have a problem with Tavares going to the Leafs in the off season. You know, obviously hockey's a business. Like we uh, we uh, us as fans often forget that, but at the same time, like you know. This guy, like, I, I, he had, like, Islanders fans have every single right to make Tavares into the villain. He, like, you know, he purposefully, uh, like, made sure that, like, the Islanders got nothing out of them, um, during the trade deadline. He had, they made, like, he kind of, like, was very wishy-washy the entire off season, like, oh, am I going to the Islanders? Oh, let me look at all these other teams that are going on. So in that sense, I can totally understand where the Islander fans are coming from because like Tavares is not like 100% innocent in this. And then on the other hand, this would not, like Tavares would uh, not join the Leafs. He would remain an Islander if, uh, the island if Garth Snow or anyone in the management was at all competent at all, and you know if they just got built the, properly built the team around them, then fine. Then you know, then Tavares would have still be on the Islanders at this very moment, and so. So the Islanders fans are, yes, it's Tavares's, like, Tavares probably could have handled it better, mostly just out of that tweet where he's like, I, uh, I'm on the Leafs, you know, 
I'm sleeping in Leafs gear and this was my childhood dream or whatever. Um, so that, that obviously angers Islanders fans. And that's not, you know, so that's like, you know, that's very, I don't know. I felt like that's very, it's in poor taste on Tavares' part. But at the same time, like, this is, it isn't like 100% on Tavares for leaving. Like, the Islanders haven't, like, they were, they haven't been good for the, when Tavares was there. Um, sure, like, he did everything he could. He was by far their best player. There was a couple of the years where, he, like, they, like, Tavares single-handedly got them into the playoffs. Their goaltending was atrocious. And their defensemen were, like, you know, they didn't even have a defensive system before Trotz got in there. So it's just, like, and then at the same time, like, the Islanders are, like, a really good team now. So, like, I, you know, with Trotz now in the system where they have, like, an actual defensive system, they're playing defense, they have a good goaltender group in, like, they have the two best goalies um, nowadays with Robin Leonard and uh, Thomas Grice, who uh, Mitch Korn has worked his wonders again. So you're not, like, you know, like, the Islanders fans shouldn't be bitter here, um, really, because it's, like, it's it's all working out. The Islanders are going to be, a, like, a playoff team, most likely. So it's not like... Tavares just like screw them out of the pooch kind of thing where he's you know so um yeah that was frustrating but uh <laughs> or that was just when I heard Avery say that it was just like yeah but like I I don't think Sean Avery understands the fan perspective of things like yeah it doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense in the grand scheme at like it doesn't make a ton of sense like yeah logically you know we should be booing uh garth snow but like Tavares is the scapegoat the guy who you could more or less say like it was actually Tavares's decision to leave the islanders and go to the leafs um because he didn't think the islanders were a good enough team for him so yeah so End of rant. <laughs> it was a little bit jumbled in the middle there, but uh, yeah. I think I got my point across. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I get what you're putting down. So, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the points you just made. So the rhetoric from Tavares is that he wanted to stay in New York Islander. And if all the guys upstairs knew that there was going to be a shadow of a doubt that he was going to stay or not, they might have been best to move on without him. And... I don't believe contract talks really progressed that much during the regular season last year. Even before that, Tavares seemed to be fine with it. Uh, there wasn't a level of urgency to get a contract done from either side. Uh, so I don't think anyone should be scolded for being willing to move on from a hockey team and getting a fresh start. It makes it look worse if you leave for nothing because it might not seem like you care about the team. It's just like, you know... I'm, you know, I'm getting what I want. I'm signing with the team that I want while the team that I played for for nine years, not ten, gets nothing. That, in today's NHL, that's that coming across as more betrayal than anything. But I think Tavares maybe he didn't want to say that maybe he didn't want to say that uh, 
you know, I want out, you know, I'll happily waive my no move clause, but I'm not signing with you guys, you know, right. and then, you know, it may seem, it may sound like he quit on the team, you know, True. but either way, you're going to be perceived as a guy that quit on the team because you either verbally said, I'm not a part of the team. I don't want to be a part of this team. I'll go elsewhere. Uh, I'll waive my new no move clause to do that. Um, and just the fact that he didn't resign with the team and they lose him for nothing, you know, you're still perceived as a villain. So John Tavares might have lost this battle either way as far as what the fans think of them. Yeah. But uh, in the situation with Mark Stone and, and Pierre Dorian in the sense, which of course we'll talk about later, that's kind of what I liked about the Ottawa Senators is that they didn't want to be the next New York Islanders and let a good player walk sure. for nothing. And that's why I am much happier. I'm still sad, obviously, that yeah, they yeah. trade away a lot of good talent. But I'd rather sure. trade them and get something than but, wait till July 1st and lose them for absolutely nothing at all. But, like, Mark's, Mark Stone is not getting booed the next time he goes to the oh, Canadian he, Tire. Oh, he for sure won't. He for sure won't. Uh, same with Duchesne and Dezingle. They're not getting booed. Um, or Carlson, for that matter. I don't think Carlson was booed, right? Um, no, 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 no. Carlson was not, no. So, I mean, I guess the sense well, I, thing... Actually, I, if I recall correctly, I think there were some fans that were booing him, because I remember on Twitter, uh, just like, okay, seriously, who's booing Eric Carlson? Shut right, up. Right, <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, but, but, I mean, I, I, most, I guess... For the most part, Carlson was cheered. It was just the it does, it does seem, though, that sense fans know that... I mean, it wasn't like... Eric Carlson's was like, hey, I hate the Senators, trade me. He was more like, I hate Melnick, trade me. Yeah, um, it, it, exactly. Yeah. It, it, and that's the difference in the situation. Right. Like it's a disconnect with the ownership. And yeah. I, I get if the fans were miserable and the team was miserable, I, I have a bit more sympathy for the Islanders. And to a degree, I have sympathy for the Islanders fan base because they've gone through a lot. Because if you recall, there's one point in time where their arena situation at the Nassau Coliseum was yep. a train wreck on ice. And their move to the Barclays Center did little to fan those flames. And they're reportedly on their way out of the Barclays Center in the near future because they're playing more home games at the Coliseum. That looks much better now. And now they do have a future home in store for them. They have stability there. They didn't have stable ownership and management before that. They have yeah. both at the moment. And... You look at the, even the on-ice product with Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice. The Isles have the best team goals against average. Grice has a save percentage of 928 in 33 games. He had an 892 yep. save percentage 27 games the year before. You look at Robin Leonard, 2.13 goals against average. And he has a 929 save percentage, slightly better than Grice. Both goalies have been near the top of the league in both stat categories. Yep. And... They have done this during a season in which goal scoring has gone up right. along with the goalies goals against average. And the only player on the Islanders that skated and hasn't gotten a point for them is Steven Gianta. Everyone that skated has gotten at least one point. 10 guys have at least 20. 18 players have double digits in points. Eight players have 10 or more goals. They're a better team without John Tavares right now. Which is a weird thing when you think about it, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I get at the same time that the fans have a right to be mad after what happened this offseason, 
I think they kind of use this as an opportunity to rub it in, and that's why I think they went a bit over the top. Because, like, throwing plastic snakes and jersey on the ice doesn't yeah. make you look respectable. I don't mind the clever chance of where's your jammies or right. it's your bedtime or the classic who's your daddy. But John Tavares won this team a playoff series. They hadn't won a playoff series since 1993. Remember how happy this fan base was yeah. after they beat Florida? He tied game six late in regulation. He won game six in overtime. Everyone was going ballistic in that stadium after the Islanders won that game. Are you going to discredit all the hard work he put in on those plays to make sure his team won that game and that series? He meant something to this team for years. And you can be upset the fact that he's gone now and how he left, but don't ignore what he did for them and say, oh, all those years don't matter. It's gone. Your reputation's yeah. tarnished. We don't care about you. You're, you're not a franchise face. You're just pajama boy. Well, I see that. That I don't, I disagree with. Because, yes, he obviously, he, you know, he's been, he still is like the best. Well, actually, that's not true. I was going to, I forgot about the 80s he, he's, teams. He's one of the best yeah. players. Yeah, he's on the Mount played. Rushmore for sure. Yeah, he's uh, one of the best players but, since they're good teams in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, no, I was about to say that he was there, he's been their best player in the franchise and then I forgot that they won a lot in the 80s. Yeah, they so won four like, straight cups, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh so I'm not going to go that route. But he he was the he was the how about this? He was their he's been their best player since 2000 on. Yeah. Um I I, I call that a first game uh and so so that yes i agree with you on that aspect of things he's brought them a ton of joy and it is mostly the management's fault for um screwing up this whole situation because yeah. you know um you know they didn't properly build around Tavares. uh they did have a lot of high draft picks and sure matthew barzal is one of them but um you know like they they didn't draft properly. They didn't, um, and their coaching system. They've never got had a proper goalie until now, or a proper coach until now. So, um, or GM at, at, until now. So, um, so there's that. But at the same time, like I can like I feel like um, Islanders fans have like that's like Tavares was their player and. It does. It is basically betrayal. So, um, so they have every right to, like, boo him when he's on the ice because he he decided to move on. Even like you know, like, it's not like necessarily like unconditional love, because he, or whatever it is. It's like he's like you know he like if he loved it so much, um, if he loved New York so much. Uh, then he would have stayed there. And so I feel like from the fans' perspective, I totally understand why uh, why they boo him. Um, I do kind of feel, at the same time, I guess I agree with you on the fact that throwing like snakes and um, all that stuff is a little bit classless. And um, so from that end, I do understand it, but... Um, at the same time, they have like every right to make him into this villain, um, because you know 
he betrayed their trust. And I'm trying to think, like, what would happen if this was, like, you know, this was in Boston. Like, like currently, uh, the Celtics are, uh, like, Kyrie Irving's, like, the most hated man in America or in Boston right now all because of these, like, veiled comments that he keeps on saying about, like, how he w might want to leave or um, he hasn't necessarily said it. And he's only been on the team for about two years. So I can totally understand where it could escalate to the point where Tavares is, like, he's been on the team for about uh, nine years, so about a decade. And, you know, that, that, that it definitely hurts. So... Uh, I totally get it um, from that angle. Um, and yeah, they are a good team now um, and a different team now. Uh, but, like, there's still, like, I can totally understand why they're making Tavares into this, like, messiah. Um, or not, not messiah, that's not the right word. I'm, I, I'm blanking. Uh, they're making well, him, you know, yeah, they're, the opposite they're of making Messiah. Him out to be the devil, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the opposite hey, hey, of Messiah. <laughs> yeah, the Antichrist. Or that, uh, <laughs> the Antichrist. <laughs> but uh, it, what, yeah. what, what's what's interesting is that, um, if you look at the hatred that the Sens fans had for Alexi Yashin, and you look at the hatred that the Toronto Raptors fans had for Vince Carter, that spanned on for years. Yep. But when the Sens were having that alumni game a day or two before facing Montreal in an outdoor game, this was in December of 2017, they did something they hadn't done in years. They cheered. They didn't mock. They cheered Alexei Yashin. They, they, they said, all water under the bridge, we're cheering for you again. I don't think John Tavares is going to be hated forever. I think... Once the Islanders start having and they start to feel good about themselves, I think there's going to be a point in history where they're going to forgive and forget. Well, maybe not forget, but but forgive somewhat John Tavares' decision to leave the island for Toronto. And there will be a time where they show Tavares respect again. But I think it's going to be quite a while away before that happens. Now, getting back to the management point of view, you're right. Management 100% has to own some of this because yeah. I remember chatting with my good friend Colin Teske, uh, asking him if if Tavares should be blamed uh, for leaving the Islanders, um, and and he made the argument uh, that the Islanders front office didn't really give him much reason to resign, like they didn't give him tangible evidence, and when they started to pull things together like getting Lule Morello, like getting Barry Trotz, that happened a month or two before John Tavares had made his decision. They were just pulling a Pierre Dorian for years and just telling everyone, okay, be patient. The progress is coming, I promise you. And whatever moves they made were made to put player A on Tavares' line and get him going so that the team as a whole could light it up. They didn't add a player who would make life easier for John Tavares. They just kept putting pounds and pounds of success on his back. They relied on John Tavares to drive the boat for years. And if he wasn't doing that, the Islanders were not winning games, plain and simple. Whereas in Toronto, they had established a winning culture. 
They didn't have endless pressure on Tavares' shoulders. All he had to do was go out there, play first child of a team, and just have fun. Just enjoy playing the game and enjoy winning. So you can say he went out, and maybe you can say he went against his word, but if you were in his shoes and management did nothing to help your cases staying in Long Island, why would you stay when there are better options for you? Right. So that, that's that. I think we both agree that management has to wear some of those. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it goes like ninety five percent on the management. Yeah. And then five percent to Varus. Um, yeah, um, so I think that's where it stacks up. Um, okay. Um, all right. So, oh, also some other things. Uh, Tavares was, don't feel too bad for Tavares. He got a standing ovation in the Leafs next home game. Um, I guess what usually what happens is they go in alphabetical order and they give Tavares, um, like Tavares usually go is announced first. Um, but then they uh, they got they moved it so that Tavares was the last guy called up uh, in the next game, and then uh, he was uh, he got a standing ovation in the Leafs uh, next home game. So that was nice uh, for them welcoming him to uh, Toronto again. Um, um, and then we uh, so yeah we we kind of basically talked about who is to blame, um, and then. Uh, and then we, I guess we briefly talked about this is like, um, I had this other point where, or this question here is who is better off the rest of the season, Leafs or the Islanders? It, because I say this mostly because when I look at the divisions or the two divisions here, um, you know, you have the Atlantic division, you have the Tampa Bay Lightning who are, uh, you know, who have been, who are, looks like they're going to be wire to wire the best team um points wise um this you know this they already have a hundred points um and it's not you know march just started so uh they're you know they're the best team in a long time boston uh beat that team they they haven't lost in regulation uh in february um and so then you have toronto um just there uh, so Toronto would, so even if you do beat Boston, then you're going to have to go through Tampa. But if you're the Islanders, um, it's like, yeah, sure, the Capitals are scary and so are the Penguins because, you know, the, those are the last three cup winners and all that stuff. But at the same time, they're like, they're not really like, they're, both both teams have struggled or had their moments where they're not as good as they used to be. So I feel like the Islanders are in a better position uh, come come the playoffs um, to at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals versus the Leafs. Yeah, of course the Leafs are a better team, but um, I don't know. Like the Leafs' path to the Stanley Cup is going to be a lot harder uh, than the Islanders' path will be. Yeah, uh, the Islanders have the easier route because they're in the weaker division. Yep. And the Leafs are probably going to get either Tampa or Boston right off the bat in round one. Um, the Islanders have a lot of cap space to re-sign players as well. The Leafs have to work around the cap that they have, so that's going to result in assets lost down the road. 
the Islanders have more breathing room. They're going to have more people to sign during the offseason. Um, but but they, they have room to work around and improve upon their roster. The Leafs really don't. The Leafs kind of established their roster as it is, and um, I think that could harm them down the road. And the fact that Tampa Bay and Boston are still going to be probably just as strong for the next couple of years, um, the Leafs are still going to have the tougher road, even if even if the Metro gets slightly better. I still think the Leafs are going to be in the tougher division. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's go to the top three, bottom three. Um, I think we're both in agreement on, on that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, I just thought it was an interesting thing because w- when I was thinking about like, oh, the, the Islanders fans shouldn't be, uh, bitter because they're, they're a pretty good team. And then I started to think like, I feel like the Islanders could make it further than the, the Leafs will in the playoffs. Um, and that, uh, could ha- actually happen. Um, and then mm-hmm. I started to think about it. It's like, oh yeah, actually that could happen. Um, all right, let's go to the top three, bottom three. We haven't done this in a while. Um, yeah. actually. Um, so, uh, so I, uh, uh, I, if you've noticed, we've never, or I've never, I don't think you have either, uh, I haven't put the Boston Bruins on the top three, um, at all this year, but, uh, this, uh, week I am going to actually put them as my top team, um, right now. And it's not just because I'm biased. I actually have stats to uh, uh, back this up. Uh, first off, they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning um, on Thursday. Um, and not, I mean, obviously the, the Lightning, we'll, we'll talk about more uh, during the Bruins Sens segment. But um, mm-hmm. obviously the, the Lightning were, you know, playing on their last half of the back-to-back. So they were more tired. But they still could have won it. But, like, they dominated the Lightning. So that was a big uh, kudos there. Uh, they played the Sharks in the last two weeks. Um, and they, uh, you know, they were... The Sharks are a very good team as well. So, I um, mean, they looked impressive against them as well. And then um, they've, they don't have Pasternak. And they're still on a 15-game point streak where they've gotten a point in their last 15 games, at least. Um, and that's uh, crazy impressive, including a like a nine-game winning streak. And they haven't, lost, uh, they haven't lost in regulation in the month of February. So I feel like uh, that gives them a right to uh, earn the top spot there. Uh, my second team is the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, mostly just because, the, you know, they're still, like, it's, it's going to be tough for me to uh, take them out of the top three for the rest of this season. Uh, they're still the top team. They've made it to 100 points. Um, I already talked about them before. Um, and then the third team I'm going to go with is, uh, uh I was deciding between two teams, but I think I will go with uh, the Capitals. Um, it seems like they're actually um, they're really getting going right now. They've won four straight, um, and uh, I mean, I am a little bit worried about 
uh, it's, oh, well, I'm not a little bit worried, but, um, it does seem like Holtby, um, has gotten back to his old self, um, but, uh, yeah, and, uh, I don't know what to really think about Phoenix Copley, but I feel like when, like, the Capitals know what they're doing at this moment, like, that cup win last season really helped them, um, and they, it kind of just reminds me of last year where they, like, they get going late in the season, and, um, even though they struggled a bit early on, but they're still there. Uh, shout out to, uh, Carolina. Uh, they, uh, that was my other team that I was debating about. Um, they've won, I was looking here, they've won five straight, um, and they're in third in their Metropolitan Division. Um, and then also, uh, Arizona, um, they've won six straight. They're still not, um, they're still fourth in the Pacific, so that's really why I didn't even, um, include them at all, but, uh, six straight is enough for recognition here. So who's your top three? Uh, well, we're almost on the same wavelength. I put Tampa at number one because 50 games, they've won over 100 points in the year before they did that. They're still the top team. I will put uh, the Bruins in the top three, though. They're my second mm -hmm. best team. They have actually earned a point in 16 straight games, oh, I thought... which is even more impressive than 50. Yeah, yeah. But in any event, they're rolling, uh, and uh, everyone should be fearing them right now. Uh, and they don't, have they don't have Pasternak, so... Yeah, they don't have Pasternak, exactly. And Tukarask is... And Tukarask is, 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 is good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, much to the dismay of Michael Felger. Exactly. Uh, third, be third best team on my list, I'm going with the Hurricanes. They've won 8 of 10. Yeah. Uh, sit third in the Metro Division at the time we're recording this podcast. I don't think anybody expected them to be a playoff team this year. Maybe, like in the hunt for a playoff spot but yeah uh to be sitting the top three in the metro division i don't think too many pundits uh anticipated that speaking of fans with, uh, with, with the goaltending that they have so speaking of fans who uh hate their um yeah you <laughs> yeah, haven't really yeah, talked they, about that one either yeah they, they, <laughs> they love their team their their celebrations yeah. have gained a lot of haters and you know what they're embracing the yeah. like well they're embracing the a bunch of jerks they yeah. bestowed upon them by the great Don Cherry. So. I actually don't, yeah, I, I feel like it's like, did anyone, it reminds me a lot like the Vegas pregame celebrations, you know, it's it seems a like, um, so I don't, like, I don't, like, let them do their own thing. If it gets fans engaged, let them do it. Uh, yeah, and, and, they, and that's something they've struggled with for years. Yeah, so. exactly. Especially in a market like Carolina, if this is like, their unique spin to uh, hockey, then let them do it. You know, it's it's a growing game. Uh, let them let them uh, have their fun. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. So uh, then you have your bottom three, or do you have any honorable mentions? Uh. Yeah. I would. I'd probably put Washington as an honorable mention. I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Mo. I'm mostly impressed with the. Uh, with Carolina, though, yep. and how they've been able to just rally around each other in such a short period of time under a new coach like Brendan Moore with their goaltending that they have, um, with with the forwards and defense that they have, just uh, a tight-knit bunch of guys, almost almost kind of like uh, the Paul Maurice Hurricanes in 0102, I feel like, where 
you know, you gather around, uh, you know, a couple of really good players, but the rest are, you know, are just a bunch of guys that probably aren't regarded as like, you know, full-time NHLers like that have the pedigree um, that can really put a team over the top. And they just seem to rally around each other and, and get results. So um, happy for Carolina. It's, it's good for the market. As for the bottom three, Columbus has dropped four of their past 10, struggling to gain ground in the playoff race, and they've gone all in. So yeah. um, I would call them as my third worst team. Um, a team that's going all in shouldn't be dropping four of 10. They should be finding a way to get results. Um, the good news is they still have time to put it together. Uh, my Ottawa Senators have been sliding very bad. Uh, they just snapped a seven-game losing skid. They had a lengthy losing skid before that. Uh, so they're the second-worst team, but uh, I'm going to put the Kings as my worst team because uh, prior to their recent win, they had dropped 10 in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel that uh, lengthy losing skids are enough to get you a spot in my bottom three. So Kings, unfortunately, you got one. So, yeah. Interesting. I don't have the Kings on my list here, but um, but that is true. I am looking here. They have lost uh, this nine of their last ten games, um, three of those in overtime or shootout. Um, yeah, so my first team is Vancouver. Uh, they will get uh, Alex Edler back, so that should help them, but... Uh, still, it seems like their scoring hasn't um, picked up at all. So I am—I uh, don't know if they're—they—they. Um, they, I guess they had an outside shot of the playoffs, but um, I feel like they aren't uh, going um, anywhere. Like it feels like now the skid has made it so that they're now back to being a lottery team, uh, kind of where everyone expected them to be. But um, I feel like it's. Uh, it's enough to like put them in the bottom three here. The one positive uh, that uh, I've seen on Twitter is that Jakob Markstrom has actually looked decent. Yep. And in in some cases, he's actually looked incredible. Yep. So the fact that uh, they're getting good goaltending is something uh, they can be hopeful of going into next year. But yeah. when Elias uh, Peterson uh, goes goalless, and I think seven straight. Um, that does not bode well for your chances, especially when your team is yeah. pretty banged up. So, and I think they're like they they should be even better next year. Uh, they yeah. get like Quinn and Hughes is most likely going to be on the Canucks, and they'll get Edler back. Uh, I think he's returning this week, so um, so you have him that should help their lineup a lot. But um, I don't know if they'll still make the playoffs even still. Uh, they need to get, get their scoring up. Really, really lucky they'll get Jack Hughes too. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, they have to keep on losing then. So there's <laughs> that. Uh, my second team is Columbus for mostly the same reasons as you mentioned. Um, you know, they've made all these deadline acquisitions, um, but they, you know, nothing to show for it. They lost their last two. Granted, uh, they lost to Winnipeg, which is a good team, and they lost to. Um, Oh, not the Oilers. <laughs> the uh, the uh, loss to uh, Pittsburgh as well, but um, well, they, they actually did lose to the Oilers. In fact, they got shut out. By I know, the I know. That's what I was saying. Saturday. Yeah. yeah, the I was going to make it into a, like a 
like Winnipeg's a good team, and then I realized like, oh, the other team is uh, Edmonton, and it's like they're not a good team either. So, yeah, and and both of know. those were home losses too. Right, right. So and they got shut out by Edmonton. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, at this point, I kind of, I I do love when teams like you know I do love chaos in general, um, in hockey, but at the same time, like I I am really rooting for Columbus to make it to the playoffs. Because I kind of want to re- like reward teams that are going all in, um, and it would just be like I feel like if the Blue Jackets don't make it, then this will just give another reason for other teams to be like, oh well, we don't want to be like Columbus, so we're not going to try to go all in, you know. So um, I I hope that Columbus does make the playoffs just for the future of hockey. Um, yeah, and for the future of trade deadline day specials, yeah, exactly. and for hosts like James Duffy for stuff to report on. Yeah, because uh, in a market that had a lot of moving pieces, um, you notice that uh, there were a lot of pieces that didn't really go anywhere. So, yep. I'm, I'm almost wondering that uh, when you look at, uh, you know, like past trades like the Martin Hansel one to Minnesota, where everyone's just like. Yeah, that's too pricey for me. No, I'm not taking that. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and then my third team, my third worst team is um, Detroit. Um, I know that. I guess I could have gone with the Kings or Ottawa. Um, in fact, yeah, Ottawa. Detroit's been hurting a bit too. Yeah, but they've lost seven straight. That's worth enough to. Um, yeah. put them down all the way there. Um, but yeah, the Senators and the Kings are also worth it. So um, we kind of differed there. But I feel like if we did a top five, we'd have all those five teams that we mentioned there. Yeah, top five losing teams. You know. Exactly. Uh, let's go to the rapid fire here. We're going to start off with uh, Jacob Silverberg. He officially resigned with the Ducks. Um, it's five years, uh, 5.25 million annual average value. Um, he's actually had a decent season despite the Ducks not doing so well. Um, but uh, he had a goal and an assist in his last game. He has 26 points in 57 games. Um, of course, like if he was on, like, you know, it's not great individually speaking, but when you take in the factor that he's on the Anaheim Ducks, which have been struggling for scoring for uh, this entire season, um, tw- you know, twenty six points is not bad. You know, that's something you can you can surely take in, in uh, fifty games, fifty or so games. So um, that there's something there. Um, yeah, I uh, he's twenty six years old or twenty eight years old, so he. Uh, yeah, the duck situation will be interesting. Uh, come, I'm in a couple of years for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a couple of things that strike me about this contract extension. First of all, he gets a no trade clause on this contract from day one right to the very end of his deal. And given how the Ducks got exposed by Vegas in the 2017 expansion draft, a part of me wonders: hmm, Are they thinking about Seattle 2022 already? Um, because possible, if yeah. you recall no trades and no moves basically protect a player yeah and the ducks have a few of those already they have getzlaw they have kessler they have perry and they have fowler and when it comes down to whether or not this guy has earned his money i'm a bit hesitant to agree i mean you look at the the 
the two seasons where he scored 20 goals, he put forth over 200 shots on target. He's managed 180 plus shots for two other seasons. Um, this year, I wouldn't say he's been great because again, he's playing on the Ducks, but he's been efficient. Like he has yeah. 17 goals, 128 shots. His shooting percentage is the best it's ever been. Um, it remains to be seen if he can be a productive top line player, but I think more opportunities need to be given to him where he can show that ability. And I think this contract says a lot that, you know, they're one step closer to giving him that kind of a role. And he just needs to be granted those chances and he needs to stay healthy above everything because the Ducks, if there's one thing they have struggled to do is keep everyone healthy and keep everyone together. Um, I also think this goes back to what the Ducks will be doing this offseason. I think their future starts with John Gibson and goal. You have Raquel and Silverberg as the offensive guys you're probably going to build around. Yep. Maybe a veteran like Ryan Getzlav is along for the ride as well. But outside of them and maybe Cam Fowler, everyone else in this roster, especially Brian Kessler and Cordy Perry, are 100% fair game. They need to change some things between... Uh, this offseason, the start of this offseason and the start of training camp because the team that they have just isn't going to cut it anymore and we're starting to see that on the ice yeah that's that's fair um yeah i guess it's it's a it is a little steep for him for sure especially since this is like you know um he seems to be an average player now but, yeah, like he hasn't even scored 30 goals, yeah. so he hasn't had a single 50 point season. But at the same time, when I, I'm looking at the Ducks cap uh, friendly page right now, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of other uh, players that have that are on a worse contract. Um, oh, yeah. Adam Henrique, Ryan Kessler, most notably. So, um, yeah, it seems uh, I, you know, I think I, I would take. Silverberg at five million, knowing even still with uh, Kessler at six million for a couple of years. Yeah, and given the fact that you know you're seeing contracts like McDavid and Matthews, you know, right? Maybe the market for Silverberg a couple of years ago is like three to four million per year, but now it's gone up to like four to five because the value of everyone's going up. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. All right, let's go to the injury report quickly. Um, I figured we'd talk about Silverberg first. Uh, we'll we'll go back to the re-signings uh, afterwards. But um, Taylor Hall has arthroscopic uh, surgery. Um, we've kind of talked about this before, but um, I guess this probably even shows even more of a sign that he's likely out for the season. Um, if the Devils were anywhere close to making the playoffs, he would. Uh, they probably would try to rush him in. But um, it's. I would imagine surgery is something that takes a lot of time to recover from. So it wouldn't even make sense to like rush him and uh, play him, um, especially now that the Devils aren't in the playoff hunt at all. Yeah, and. Um... The fact he hasn't played since December 23rd, like, there's going to be some rust there. Like, how much are you really going to get out of Taylor Hall, even if he does come back? Um, It's not worth playing him until next year, especially when you consider how injury-prone Taylor Hall's been in the past as well. Um, And on top of that, Kyle Palmieri is week-to-week with a lower body injury. He has 26 goals and 48 points of his own. So, again, teams going nowhere 
more guys are getting banged up. Like it, it it's it's best to just shut it down, come back next year fresher, better, stronger. Yep. So it, it just just the logistics. I, I get why they're keeping the door open, but I think at the same time they should close it shut because by the time he's ready to go, there's probably going to be like a week or two left. And with with I, I hear from John Hines with this procedure, you know, it, it all depends on how the recovery goes. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I just wouldn't I just wouldn't risk harming anything with the knee making sure that it's fully rest because if if you come if you come back let's say you come back and something gets done that hurts the knee your base and and it keeps you out for a couple more weeks well yeah the season's over but all that time you could be doing all that time that could be spent rehabbing your knee making sure it's stronger training for next season all that time you could be doing to get your leg in 100% shape, you're basically set back a couple of weeks and that sets you back on getting ready for next year. So if it means, if bringing him back this year means he's not 100% ready for next year, a contract year for him, it, it just doesn't make any sense to put him through that. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Matt Zuccarello, we talked about this a bit uh, last yesterday, um, but uh, we can officially talk about it now. Um, Matt Zuccarello had um, had surgery on Tuesday to repair a broken arm. Um, it also looks like he, I guess he suffered something else. I guess it was just an arm, um, but it looks like he's allowed out at least four weeks. Um, it was his first game as a Dallas Star player. Um, and it happened as we were record after we recorded, so we didn't get that. But um, yeah, it's just it's an unfortunate situation for for Zuccarello because it looked like he was doing really well, and then all of a sudden he gets injured. Um, but uh, so yeah, it looks like he's out a month um, at least. It's disappointing, but I I, I definitely think the Dallas Stars are pro. I I think they're gonna keep him around after this year. Yeah. Just just because of. Like uh, Chris Wassel said on our trade deadline special, um, how frustrated Patrick Kane was. You know, Patrick Kane, one of the best players in the league still, just getting flustered as to, you know, how effective Zuccarello was and and how he didn't really have much of an answer for him. So, yeah. you know, when it comes to those Central Division battles, Zuccarello is going to be key in those moments. And the fact that he was able to put up two points basically shows how effective he was for the Dallas Stars in that game. So um, I definitely think he has a future with the franchise and, and they'll find a way to keep him. But like I said, uh, when the trade was made uh, a couple episodes ago, this is one of those things where the Stars are going to have to do some salary cap magic in order to make that happen. Um, yeah. In order to continue to improve their team beyond that. And I think uh, Martin Hansel's contract is probably going to be one of the first to go, um, just just for the sake of clearing up cap space. Whether it's trade, whether it's buyout, we'll see. But um, I, I, you, you can't really help your team when you're not playing when you're hurt. So um, yeah, it, it sucks for Zuccarello, but uh, I I definitely think there are going to be better days for him as a Dallas Star. I doubt his trek with the with his new team ends here. 
Yeah, for sure. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is kind of an unfortunate situation. It, I don't know necessarily if he'll re-sign with the Stars. I know it. It was interesting to see because like this, it seemed like right away he got a goal and an assist in his first game back, um, or his first game playing as the star. Um, and it seemed like, oh, this is what the Stars desperately needed was another yeah. depth guy. And then all of a sudden he, you know, they uh, all of a sudden he gets injured again. So, um, so it's a little bit uh, unfortunate for them. So I do feel bad, but I don't know if that necessarily means that he's going to sign with Dallas um, in the off season. But we'll see. Um, yeah, to be right. I think what it means for now is that the Rangers kind of won the trade because yeah. they basically got a couple of decent picks for one game of Matsugarello, so. True, um, yeah, I mean, that all depends on if the Stars make the playoffs, but yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Derek Stepan, uh, he broke his leg, or not, he has a leg injury. Um, he's out four to six weeks. Um, they are calling it a lower body injury, but um, it looks like it's a leg injury. Um, yeah, this is like the add them to the list of player uh, Arizona Coyotes players that are injured now. Uh, what's even more impressive is they're still on a winning streak. They're on a five-game winning streak, but um, yeah, this definitely hurts them for for a bit. Um, Derek Stepan was actually doing pretty well. I think he had like a like a three-game point streak or something like that. Uh, yeah, on, on, on this on the season, actually, not having one of his better seasons, True. he had uh, 13 goals and 32 points in 64 games. Kind of like Zuccarello, where yeah. it took him a while to get going, but it looked like he was generating some momentum. Yeah. He's had uh, five straight 50-point seasons prior to this. Um, so, again, you know, just when everything starts to get going for Arizona, you know, they hit a bump in the road. The good news for them is that Christian Dvorak is back from the IR finally, so... Um, Here's hoping that he can uh, carry some of the load that uh, Derek Stefan can no longer. So, uh, well, uh, no, I was. It, it, it would be great to see Arizona in the playoffs, just all their hard work paying off. They have uh, 69 points. Um, they're still eight back of Vegas for third in the Pacific. Yep. But um, they, they, they could get a wild card spot if they, they keep this up. Um, well, no, I was just saying in the last five games. Stepan had uh, two goals and three assists, so yeah, that's something. But yeah, no, yeah, you're so, right. In so terms, like I said, yeah. Zuccarello with the Rangers, you know, he started off slow this year, but then uh, he tore it up over the past yeah. month. So um, it, it's unfortunate that uh, the injury had to had to come at a time where Derek Stepan was playing some of his best hockey this season. But, oh yeah, um, they they definitely have a lot of offensive weapons, as we'll talk about. Uh, a bit later with an extension there that they made, but um, the, the the future still looks bright for the Coyotes, and the fact that they're grinding out wins despite the injuries uh, definitely gives their fans something to cheer about, and they've actually won six straight, which is slightly more impressive than five straight, but of course, yeah. um, it, it's, it, it's definitely good to be a Coyotes fan because they're able to get results despite everything that's been thrown their way, and I think that's a good sign of the group that they have and the coaching that they have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, also, uh, I uh, seems like these guys always get injured every year, or at least once a year. Um, Chris Letang, 
Uh, he's out with an upper body injury. Uh, they almost immediately traded for uh, Eric Goodbranson uh, right after that. So um, it kind of like shows that maybe they're, um, you know, Latang is out for longer. Um, also, I'm looking here at the Pittsburgh Penguins injury report. They have uh, Brian Dumoulin, Chris Latang, Oli Mata, and Chad Ruedel, um, who are all defensemen, um, and they're all injured. Um, so, so there's that. Yeah, and, and, and Dumoulin's injury is, I believe, concussion related, yep. which is, you know, unpredictable. So, yep. yeah, that definitely sucks for them. And, and for Latang, who's been a point per game player this year, averaging close to 26 minutes yeah. per contest, you know, he's their best player on defense. So, it's true. Um, yeah, that, speaking of teams that have to face adversity through injuries, uh, here come the Penguins. Again, yeah. Um, although, uh, it looks like he he's on the, Chris Letang. I'm just looking here. Uh, Letang was was part uh, was on the ice Monday mornings, so he isn't practicing I think, I think, yet. But. I think Letang is more of a day to day than anything, but yep. it's still you know you know Eric Carlson was day to day with a groin injury, True, and, and he's been uh, out for a while. Now that's flared up, and he's out at least a week. So True. Um, he, he, I I I don't know how bad the injury is and how careful they want to proceed with this, but. Uh, when you go into the playoffs, ideally, Chris Letang at 100% is the Chris Letang you're hoping for. So True. we'll Brian, see what happens. Brian Rust is also out as well. Um, he has a lower body injury. He's another guy who seems to be injured every once in a while. Um, yeah, and, and, and he's the guy that I think has kind of had to carry the load. I mean, you look at Phil Kessel, he hasn't scored in, I think, 15 games it is, which is uncharacteristic. Rush right. was also spending time on the top line. Uh, so now that he's out, Jerick McCann uh, has spent time on the top line a little bit. So uh, Bill Kessel has yeah. had three assists in uh, five the last five games. Yeah, so he's, he's getting points. He's just not scoring. Oh, you mean goal scoring. I thought you meant like yeah, points in general. In 15 games. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, you know, for a guy like Phil Kessel, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of no, right. not It is a little so. odd. You're right. I thought I thought you meant like points in general. No, 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 no. He's he's still he's still Got decent it. in that department. He's just not scoring right now. Got it. Um, Eric Stahl uh, is resigned uh, for uh, three uh, two years, uh, three point two million um, for the next two years. Uh, he what he is making currently three point five million. Um, so that's a little bit of a decrease in pay, but. Um, yeah, it, I found it kind of interesting that he wanted to stay in Minnesota and not go to a, another contender or go to a contending team. But, um, yeah, I guess he, I guess he likes it in Minnesota, um, instead. Well, uh, it's interesting because in year one with Minnesota, he had 28 goals and 65 points with a fairly impressive 211 shots on goal, kind of a bounce back renaissance year for him. And then he gets 42 goals and 76 points the year after in 82 games. Uh, he had 30 more shots on goal that season, so 241 shots in 2017-18. This year, not as electric stats. 19 goals and 45 points in 65 games, along with 173 shots. So for a guy that's 34, he can still provide a bit of offense. But one of the things that strikes me about this contract extension is that Eric Carlson, or no, not Eric Carlson, Eric Stahl had a modified no trade in his last deal. 
this time around, no move, no trade, nowhere to be found in year one or year two. And that's according to Cap Friendly at the time that I checked it out. And I think this is noteworthy because if you look at what the Minnesota Wild could do this offseason, there were talks that Stahl might be shopped around the deadline, but that didn't materialize. Keeping him around for two years could be a sign that he could be in it for the short term, but given what's been happening with Jason Zucker and how close he was to being traded to Calgary, this is a guy that they signed to a five-year extension, Jason Zucker, this past summer. He has a no-trade that kicks in starting this offseason, and it runs right to the end of his contract. So if Jason Zucker, who has a no-trade that kicks in this offseason, is being shopped around, a guy they just signed to a five-year extension, the fact that Eric Stahl doesn't have a no-move or a no-trade at any point in this deal makes me wonder, okay, they can trade him anywhere they want to if they decide to go down this route. So I think it it just maybe maximizes the return they could get for Eric Stahl with this two-year extension. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they dangle Eric Stahl, whether he's a part of their future or not. But whether it's this coming season or whether it's the final year of this two-year contract, I can still see Eric Stahl getting traded. Yeah, I could I could see that happening too. I remember there was uh, Eric Stahl might have there was like rumors that Eric Stahl was getting traded, but then I guess that was clo- uh, later not the case because uh, he was resigning. So there's that. But yeah, we'll see. Um, Frank Vitrano signs for uh, resigns with Florida for three years, two point five million annual average value. He's having a career year this year, um, <clears throat> 33 points in 64 games. Um, when I look at him as a Bruins fan, I, I just, uh, as someone who needed, as a team that needs a, uh, you know, a, a middle six player like this, um, it, it does hurt when, uh, when you see that he has 20 goals already um, and 33 points in 64 games already. But, um I, I am glad that he is doing well and found his place in Florida. Um, hopefully it continues. I'm not sure how consistent he can be. I guess that's the only issue, but at a, at a price at uh, $2.5 million, I think uh, the Florida Panthers will take that and uh, see where they can get it, um, where, where that goes. Yeah, he had a couple of respectable seasons in Boston for yep. a newcomer. Um, he had eight goals on 99 shots in 39 games with the Bruins uh, a couple of years ago, 2015-16. Uh, year two, 10 goals on 116 shots. That's not bad. Uh, and after a rather slow start to last year, he goes to Florida, gets five goals on 30 shots in 16 games, along with eight points. And now he has a 20-goal season and 160 shots through 64 games. I think if he gets reps on Florida's top six, uh, he could really blossom into something. Um, it all depends on how they shake up their roster uh, this offseason. Uh, I think that's going to be key. But uh, right now, he's a solid depth piece. And uh, as far as cap-friendly contracts go, for a guy like Frank Petrano, this isn't half bad. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then lastly, we have Connor Garland, um, who resigns with Arizona um two years seven so not a million yet but seven hundred and seventy five thousand annual average of um 
annual average value. Um, so that's, uh, it's kind of interesting too, because whenever we report these things, it's always like at least a million. Um, but this time it's in a thousand one. Uh, Connor Garland has had his moments. He's, he's struggled as of late, but, um, I, I kind of like this, uh, this, uh, signing though, um, at least just because this is, you know, um, it seems like he's, uh, he has 15 points in 38 games. Um, although he hasn't scored in a while, but you know, he definitely has potential, um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the QMJHL, he had back-to-back seasons where he had at least 128 points. I think he had 128 one year, 129 in the other. And in those seasons, in both of those seasons, he didn't go over 40 goals. So the fact that he got to 12 goals in, in the NHL this year, and the fact that he, his success hasn't been as fluid in the AHL, um, this soon-to-be 23-year-old is showing signs of promise. He has four power play goals as well as a pair of game winners, 101 shots with the Coyotes this year. Um, and he's done a pretty effective job sliding into some roles that were um, hurt by injury. The bigger question is how they're going to slot him in after the season is done. He's much like a Frank Petrano in that respect. Yep. When everyone's healthy, back to the regular roles, what is Connor Garland's role going to be with the Coyotes? And I think given the opportunities that he's had, I think we have a good idea of where this guy could be playing on this team. But it's finding that perfect spot to, and helping him learn from all the road bumps that he goes through. Uh, that's going to be their biggest uh, test. But as far as cap-friendly contracts, though, this is probably their Carly Yankroak. Um, like, he doesn't even make a million dollars in any of these two years. Yes. Yeah. It's basically uh, another entry-level contract for him. So, basically, yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does the next two years, and if he does pretty well, he's going to get one heck of a pay raise for his next one. Sure. Um, so it looks like we do have some time left uh, to talk about the trade deadline some more. Uh, we just wanted to do winners and losers. Um, do you have? I, I I assume you have a list of winners and losers, right? Yeah. Um, I think Nationals is a semi-winner because they did give up a lot of player with a lot of promise in Kevin Fiala, but Ely Tolvanen still a part of their game plan at the moment. I think Granlin and Simmons make them better to an extent. They're nearing that win-now umbrella. Uh, I also think down the line Vegas has also won because they get Mark Stone for longer than one year, and when that contract extension becomes official we will break it down for you more then but uh the report is about half an hour after they got him they had agreed in principle on an eight-year extension yeah uh, so, we just uh, don't know the term the value yeah, we don't yet. Have the exact terms yet but yeah. uh eight-year extension hasn't been finalized yet but it it appears that mark stone is going to be with Vegas for more than just these handful of games that he's going to be playing. Yep. Um, so that's definitely a big win for them. Uh, I, I was wondering, out of the teams that stood pat, which teams are going to regret the most? I don't think Carolina will regret it. I don't think Tampa's going to regret it either because they have a team that's ready to contend. They don't. They couldn't have really done anything to make themselves better. I think if they lose the Stanley Cup, it's going to be their fault and not the GM, 
because they they have the team that's ready to win. They don't really have to improve upon anything. Montreal's in that situation where, you know, Jordan Wheel, Nate Thompson, Dale Weiss are all minor additions. Like, what are you doing? But yeah. they weren't expected to really be contending anyways, so I'm going to cut them some slack there. I'm a bit concerned about the Leafs, though. Um, outside of acquiring Jake Muzzin, did they do enough? That remains to be seen. Um, Calgary might be an interesting option as well. Yeah, true. I, the, I the Leafs think... never actually got a, another defenseman. Yeah. They, no, there was reports that the Leafs weren't done after they got Muzzin, but they yeah. never actually did. Yeah, that, the, pretty much the only thing they did was swap Parlin home for Nick Patan. Yeah. That was minor trade with Winnipeg and that he's not those aren't even defensemen so yep um they're and on top of that Dermot and Gardner are both week to week so they're probably going to be calling uh, some of their younger defensemen up uh, to play some games for them so mm-hmm. they'll be interesting Calgary's going to be interesting as well because I don't know if they could have done anything to improve their goaltending they're probably more content to stick with what they've got yeah Pittsburgh kind of concerns me because they're running out of options to improve their hockey team and their defense is still banged up the islanders i think they were wise to stand pat i don't think they're really in the position to make anything happen i think they're more wise to um improve if necessary on july 1st um i think the teams in the worst long-term position i would go with san jose toronto and winnipeg mostly san jose because for the least in the jets um, they're giving out money, but they have a younger core than the Sharks. The Sharks are giving out money to slightly older players, like players nearing their 30s or have already hit their 30s, like Pavelski, like Gustav Nyquist. Um, so that, that'll that be interesting, um, how the Sharks are able to work around that and, and what they do in the playoffs. Um, from teams that are likely to retool their roster i've mentioned minnesota i've mentioned uh bob murray and the ducks as well um the flyers and the kings i will put those in there once edmonton gets a gm i put them in that class probably the most intriguing team and we've said it before is florida because uh from what i heard they made the sense an offer to get mark stone which never materialized in anything but it just goes to show you they're hungry for big name talents um, they've unloaded for start already to Colorado. Um, there's also been word that after getting Mike Hoffman during the summer, he was asked to submit his teams as part of his no trade. Uh, maybe he could be trade bait once uh, we get closer to draft day. Uh, Jonathan Huberdeau's name was tossed around the rumor mill a little bit. Um, if if I'm a hockey fan, I'm watching Dale Talon and his Panthers very, very closely. As, yeah, they should be an interesting uh, team. We get closer towards the offseason, but... Yeah, that that's mostly my trade deadline thoughts. Uh, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was I was well. I have some that commented on on what you the teams that you talked about. I was gonna say the um, I feel like the Winnipeg Jets are winners. Um, they I mean they they made a couple like of like minor trades towards the end. They also got Kevin Hayes, but they got like Par Lindholm, Matt Hendricks, uh, Adam Alex Broadhurst. Uh, Bogdan Bogdan Kisilvich, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and Nathan Bolio, um, as well. So I feel like all those guys are like they were minor trades to do, but they're all like depth moves. And I feel I kind of like that idea of 
just building a, like depth guys and um, something like that. So I kind of liked all those moves that they made towards the end of the draft. Um, I felt like, I know you said that it was wise for the Islanders to stand pat, but um, I still feel like they were kind of losers in my mind because I feel like they could have at least gotten maybe you know a winger or been a part of a winger. Um, I think that they could have improved there or may, like maybe get a center or something like that. But um, so I, I, I don't necessarily feel like they were they, they should have stand pat there. Um, in terms of um, other teams that you didn't mention, the Blues didn't do anything, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I know that I guess they're just hoping that Jordan Bennington can keep them in games, but even still, it, you know, it seems like they could have, they should be buyers, um, and they didn't really get anyone of note other than I guess Michael Delzato, but that doesn't really count. He's Michael Delzato, um, so um, so I I I guess I would put that Winnipeg Jets um, as winners. I guess I would put the Blue Jackets as well in the same kind of. Uh, frame of mind with the Jets because they went all in and got a lot of pieces to help them in their uh, cup run. Um, yeah, um, in terms of like no other really like losers or winners really stand out to me um, per se. Yeah, I, I think Columbus is going to be right in the middle and I yep. would be almost willing to put them in as a big time loser. True. If um, I guess it all depends on how their playoff run goes. Yeah, I guess that's fair. It's it, if Columbus is, it's yet to be seen if they're a winner or a loser. Um, at the moment, they're not in the playoffs, so they're a loser. But uh, they could if be a I winner. Pick, if I had to pick the ballsiest team, it would definitely be. Columbus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's go to the uh, Bruins Sens. Um, uh, you're going first, actually. I see here that I, I thought I was going first, and then I looked at my notes. You are going first. All right. Well, uh, welcome to the pain train. Uh, it's been here for a while, and it continued uh, on uh, Sunday against Calgary. I was actually in attendance for that game. Uh, probably the first sense game I've been to in a couple of years, mostly because I work evenings, so I don't really have time for hockey games anymore. Um, but... Uh, it, it, I ended up going to this hockey game. Uh, there's this section uh, in the in the stadium called Club Bell, and it's basically an all-you-can-eat buffet. By the time the second intermission rolls around, it's an all-dessert menu. Uh, probably the best experience at a hockey game I've ever had. Uh, unfortunately, the ending was not so delicious. Uh, the Sens, uh, they were able to hang around long enough to make a game of it. Uh, almost a minute away from forcing overtime. They don't have Stone in this game. They also scratched CeCe and Bodker, which made me think, oh, they're probably getting traded too. Spoiler alert, they didn't. Uh, hmm. They're still with the team. Uh, Duclair comes in with less than two minutes left. It's the crossbar. Flames go the other way. Former Bruin Oster Zarnik is able to rifle in top cheese over Anderson's glove hand. Sens get absolutely nothing out of a great team effort and their losing skate continues. Um, just, I, I wasn't able to really see, I wasn't able to really see what the building was like. I noticed there were a lot of Flames fans there. Um, it, it, it didn't look as empty as I thought it would be. Um, 
and we're we're in the part of the stadium where everything's just like restricted to one area so you know of course everyone's you know eating and having a good time so you don't really get to see the rest of the building and how and the vibe of people you know because everything is so positive at club bell it's it's such a good experience and i've never been to that part of the stadium before so i was just more soaking in all of the entertainment stuff and i wasn't really observant as i should have been as to the overall vibe of the building and this was before mark stone got traded they had just traded matt duchene they had traded ryan to single the day before uh, they obviously had traded Eric Carlson uh, before the season began. So I, I never really got to see for myself what the building was like, what the atmosphere was like. Um, my, my question is, when next year rolls around, how many people are going to be interested in that? And uh, before I go any further, all I will say is that and I've told Brett about this, I will be doing a special dissection of the worst week in Sens history for not only just the Sens fans that listen to this podcast, but also general hockey fans that don't understand the Ottawa market, that don't understand what the Sens fans have been through, what this last week has been for them, what's led to this past week, just so that they can get a grasp even if it's just a little bit of a grasp as to what the Sens fans have been dealing with, what the Sens fans are feeling. So that's going to be released at some point this week. Be sure to keep it locked to the Lace Up podcast for more on that. Anyways, continuing with the this week's action on Tuesday, they were in Washington uh, taking on the Capitals. Uh, they got uh, early goals from, hey, a new guy, Oscar Lindbergh, and hey, a new guy, Anthony Duclair. Uh, and then the Caps offense turned mm-hmm. it up, scored seven unanswered. Andrew Seals against Chase from the net, and the Sens lose seven to two. Big freaking surprise. Another loss to add to their losing streak. And then we go to Thursday's game against Edmonton. Ottawa gets on the board first. Oilers reply, eventually take that game four to two. Uh, the Guy Boucher firing, which we're going to get to later on, happened today after that. All right, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> they go to Emily Arena, lose 5-1 to one to the league best lightning. Another big surprise. And on Sunday, they actually won a game. They beat the Florida Panthers 3-2. to two. And uh, Brian Gibbons, who they got in a minor one-for-one with uh, Pat Seeloff going to the Ducks, gets his third point in four games with the Sens. So one of the few positives they have going for them this week. Uh, they play the Islanders in a home-and-home home without John Tavares, obviously, and then visit Brett's Bruins on a Saturday night. So uh, that's what they have to look forward to this week. Uh, Brett, um, I hear you in the background. Did you have anything to add there? No, I, I just, I was, well, sort of. I, I forgot to mention, I guess we, we didn't put that in the lineup notes, but we can talk about it now, but uh, Guy Boucher got fired. I assume we are about to talk about that, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into... We'll get into more depth about uh, that before before I uh, go into um, the Mark Stone stuff. I wanted to know your take on that. What are your thoughts on the Mark Stone trade? Not just from the trade standpoint itself, but from the future of the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, I mean, what's your take on all that? Well, I mean, we, I I did say a lot yesterday on. Um, on the trade deadline special that's that came out yesterday, 
But um, yeah, no, I I think from the Ottawa Senators, I would, I thought you guys were at least gonna get a, a first round pick, uh, from Mark for Mark Stone, uh, but at the same time, you know, Eric Brandstrom seems from all intents and purposes seems to be, um like so, a, a player you can build around he seems to be like a top prospect and stuff so I kind of like the idea of having Shabbat and Brandstrom so you have like your two defensemen of the future to build around um and that's like that's that's something like you have two really good defensemen and that's something that a lot of teams struggle with on a yearly basis so you have that um, as for losing Mark Stone, um, it's going to suck for you guys in the short term for sure. Um, however, in the long term, um, it seemed like he, uh, he, you know, just the reports of him signing with Vegas, it just showed that he wasn't going to sign, you know, he wasn't going to resign with Ottawa anyways. Um, it would have been nice for him to stay, but I, I totally understand why he, he doesn't want to. Um, especially with guys like Duchesne and um, Carlson all out there and, and Hoffman as well. So um, so I, I can totally understand why he wants to go to a team that's going to contend now uh, versus uh, hoping that a team can pick him up. It, of course, it sucks for you guys as Sens fans, but um, I think you guys have a good prospect pool now. Um, and something to build around. Uh, of course, you're not going to get Jack Hughes or Capo Caco this year, um, even if you guys are the worst team. But it's still, um, you know, at least you have something like you, you have a bright future in, the, in that sense. You, you're in the first round, um, and that could be if Columbus misses the playoffs, you know, it could be um, in the teens. So that's, that's at least something. Yeah, so in regards to the Mark Stone loss, uh, what I was thinking is what does Mark Stone bring that the other players don't? Because the Sens are going to be this piss poor next year. They could always draft the town of Alex Lafreniere's caliber in 2020. Yep. Because if they were a last place team with Duchesne, with Duchesne, with the single, with Stone, they're definitely a last place team without them. Yep. So, um,. Losing a guy like Matt Duchesne, yeah, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt so much. Same with Ryan Dezingle. But Mark Stone brings those intangibles that you don't see in too many players. He's the king of takeaways, just a two-way game. He, he does the little things right. When you see him, when you see the Sens score a goal and he's on the ice, whenever he makes a big play, whenever he scores a big goal, there was a game when the Sens went on that miracle run in 2015 where he scores an overtime winner against Pittsburgh and he's so jacked up after that goal. He's about as jacked up about a goal as a part of a last place team. Like he's that jacked up when Brady Kachuk scores. He's that jacked up when Matt Duchesne scored a goal and he and he made like a nice speed or whatever. He shows emotion. It doesn't matter how good this team is or how bad this team is. He shows emotion. He gives a damn. Yeah. He's the heart and soul of this team. Players like Mark Stone don't grow on trees. He's one of the best in the league at his position. He's one of the best two-way forwards in the game. Him leaving Ottawa was a shot to the gut for diehard fans. 
and it says a lot about this team and where it's going because you know yeah you know you got a guy like eric Ranstrom who apparently has eric carlson like qualities so i mean we all know what happened to eric carlson don't we um and we have guys like thomas shabbat we have guys like brady kachuk we have guys like alex formanton drake batherson rudolph spolster logan brown the list goes on and on and we're, we're probably going to get uh, some pretty good uh, draft picks out of the picks that um, we've accumulated. By we, I'm talking about the Sens. I'm trying not to say we, but, you and know, they're... I, I do that sometimes, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot. We're, we're both invested into our teams. We do that, yeah. Much, I feel it's like. fine. But let's say 2021 rolls around and Melnick wants to spend the cap like he says he's going to do. We'll see if he does that, but that's what he says he's going to do. When it comes to attracting free agents on July 1st, when it comes to paying our big-name players in five to six years that we have developed, do you really think, if Melnick's the owner, that this isn't going to happen again? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, that, we that's We could true. have the same situation in five or six years if Melnick is still the owner. It's true. Because of what has happened this year, we had four pending UFAs. Mark Stone, Brian DeSingle, Matt Duchesne, Eric Carlson, and we couldn't keep one. One UFA out of that group. We couldn't keep one of them. All of them left. And it's not because Ottawa's a bad hockey market. And I will, and I will play audio from TSN 1200 in the podcast special that I will be releasing in a couple of days that shows, that illustrates just how frustrated Sens fans are, not with the team, but with the guy paying everybody. To play devil's advocate here, um, yeah, like, you guys lost those four players who were all pending UFAs and you weren't able to keep any of them. That surely sucks, but at the same time, it's like that. That's not necessarily indicative of what's going to happen in the future. Like, what if like Brady Kachuk is the guy to build around, and he wants to sign there? What What if Shabbat is the guy that you know he remains consistent again, and you know he's the guy you build around? So, um, you know, it's not necessarily like I feel like. The, the management decided to blow this team up um, because of these four pending UFAs. And then in the future, it doesn't necessarily mean that Kachuk is going to leave once his contract is up. And the same for, can be said for Shabbat. Because, you know, that, like, I mean, surely Melnick is always going to be an issue, but it's not necessarily true that, like, uh, like every Sens player young or old are going to um, not want to sign with Ottawa in the future just because of Melnick. I'm sure there's other factors. I think it's just this one team um, is a different, um, di has a different situation. Like, situations are going to change. I guess so, but on the other hand, like, they gave a Duchesne was asked, and I'm going to explain this further in the special podcast. So, 
the special edition podcast will be putting out in a couple of days. Matt Duchesne said the offer that Ottawa gave to him was fair. Yeah. And the reported offer that, according to Elliot Freeman, that the Sens were offering Mark Stone was in the neighborhood but, of five years at $10.5 million per year. And if the numbers that we're hearing from Bob McKenzie about Mark Stone's contract with Vegas is true, he took less money but, to sign with Vegas. But if you're Matt Duchesne or if you're Mark Stone, would you want to stay in Ottawa? Like, that's not necessarily true. Like, uh, but that that doesn't... My point is, is just because it didn't work out with Duchesne and Mark Stone doesn't mean it's going to not work out in the future for my other concern, players. My concern is that the climate that this team has created over the past 18 months led to this moment. Yeah, it's fair. I, I guess that's fair. Part of the reason is because... it. it, it Go back to December 2017. Remember when I said that was the day that Senators fans did something they hadn't done in years? And that's cheer for Alexi Ashen? Yeah. What also happened that day is Melna came out in a media scrum and basically told reporters, like, we can't sell a ticket, honest to God. Like, it's moments like that where the owner shouldn't be opening his mouth and saying stuff like that and he does it anyway right like that's no i know i'm not i'm not defending melnick i'm not that's defending melnick i'm just saying that like from like i i just don't like take it from the bruins they have a jeremy jacobs was notoriously known as a guy um who wouldn't sign players um like was very cheap with players when it came to contract stuff. Um, never properly built around Ray Bork, even though Ray Bork was on the team for 20 years. So, um, but now, like, you know, players are willing to sign with the Bruins. Um, just, so it's like, like in spite of Jeremy Jacobs still in the system. Like, Jeremy Jacobs still the owner there, but like, Players aren't necessarily um, worried about Jeremy Jacobs because the Bruins have built this culture. So now you have to, like, the Sens just need to rebuild their culture. Um, and uh, it seems like you guys have a good prospect pool, and that's something that you guys can build around. Um, sure, it's, you know, you would obviously want to have Mark Stone there, you would obviously want to have Matt Duchesne there but or eric carlson as well um but you're not like like it's still like you can you still have hope there that this team like all these young players can pan out and become something even better than than what they are right now yeah so so from the player standpoint i guess i guess you know there's a chance that history won't repeat itself yep. when it comes to the fans that have been cheering with this team for so long that have seen Alfie leave that have seen tourists leave that have seen girls okay. leave that have seen all of this the worst week in sense history I would argue do you think they're going to forget no they will not forget and my worry is when this team is good in five years they won't be coming back and then all of me saying oh wait where are the fans like we're good now that's, like, that's not why, true why are the fans coming back because you ran, because you basically chased them out of the building when you did all of this. 
I don't like, know. Like, like right know. now, like they have guys like Ryan, they have guys like Pascal, well, they this... have guys like Anderson, they have loyal guys, but are there any guys like Duchesne, like Stone, that Carlson that can put bums in seats? Because at the at some point, investors are going to be pissed. Yeah. Uh, the fans but... are clearly pissed. Mongolian Village, a restaurant in Ottawa, has banned Melnick for life. But if sick and tired of but if the sends were good, like fans will come. Like you're you're like that's that's not gonna happen. Like you know fans, like usually when teams struggle in attendance stuff, it's usually because the teams are bad, and that's what, you know. So it's um, so when the sends are good, eventually you know almost every every sense fan, even you will be like, all right, I want to go to these Sens games. And even though you're still wary of Melnick, even though you're still, if Dorian's still there, you're still wary of Dorian. But, you know, it's still, like, when teams are good, fans will come. I mean, obviously history, like Alfredson and um, and all these other players that you mentioned, that, that's obviously going to stink, but... Again, it doesn't necessarily dictate what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, I, 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 I guess it's... It, it, I understand it's frustrating at the moment. I get yeah, it. And, I and just... You're right. The attendance has been on a slow decline, yeah. but it's, it's just like... Just this, this past year where they had four guys they could have kept and all of them decided to walk for, for various reasons, decided to go elsewhere... Um, that that tells you something about the climate. I, I really think it does. And then and then we get to the arena proposal. By the way, the the downtown arena proposal it's dead in the water now yeah. because uh, the NCC officially, well, they didn't officially. I, I think they officially ruled on it. But anyways, if you remember, um, Eugene Melnick and his business partner John Ruddy of Trinity Developments. He claimed that there was a conflict of interest between John Ruddy and Trinity Developments and, and the and the project at Le Breton. So he sues John Ruddy. And John Ruddy not only countersues him, he countersues him for more than what Melnick was suing him for. So they went to mediation to try and sort out their differences. They could not. And the NCC, a day after they said, okay, we're not going to give another extension to this group. It's February 28th or bust. Tell us what happens. A day after they say that, uh, they basically say, yeah, mediation didn't work. Um, and basically the proposal for a downtown arena is dead in the water. This is land that for decades has not been developed. And they, the NCC is very keen on developing that land. So I think in my opinion, the NCC isn't going to wait on Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators if they're in or not. They want to develop this land. They will probably do it if the Sens aren't a part of it. So when it comes to locations, and Eugene Melnick is adamant that there are other locations to put this arena, when you look at the situation in Canada, part of the reason why the Sens are having a tough time generating fans for a lot of their home games it's not just because of the ticket prices not really changing all that much. It's not just because parking is pretty bad. It's the commute to Canada. Going from like downtown Orleans, um, those kind of places to Canada, 
you're going on the Queen's Way, you're probably stuck there for like half an hour to 45 minutes. The commute for those areas is pretty bad. But downtown La Breton Flats, that's closer to downtown. It's a more centralized location to put this team. And that would make it easier for fans across Ottawa, not just Canada, although it may be a bit tougher for people like me because I would actually have to travel a bit farther to get to a Sens game. It probably takes me like 20 minutes uh, to go from my house uh, to drive down to, to find my seat, like half an hour at the most, depending on what the volume of traffic is. But it's not really all that bad compared to like, you know, the hour plus commute that other people would have to make. And it would be longer for me personally to go to a downtown rink, but it would be less travel for the people in Orleans. It would be less travel for the people in Gatineau. It'd be less trouble for the people in downtown Ottawa, for sure. It would be much closer there. It's a more centralized location. And for the future of the Ottawa Senators, I have grown to accept that a downtown location or a location like LeBreton Flats in this case is probably the best option down the road to get more people to come to Sens games. But this perfect opportunity is now gone. So now I'm wondering, okay, is there a more centralized location than LeBreton Flats? Is, is there a better location? And off the top of my head, I can't think of any. And on top of that, Melnick isn't gaining any money on this venture. In fact, he's probably losing money because he's now suing his former business partner and his former business partner is suing him for more money. So I, I'm just beside myself thinking about the future of this franchise and just like how committed Eugene Melnick is to this team. Because I'm just wondering for the greater good of this franchise, if he had any personal beef with John Ruddy, couldn't he have put that aside and just say, you know what? It's for the Senators, it's for the team, it's for the greater good of this franchise. Let's find a way to get it done. Because you're going to be working with people that you really don't want to work with. But you need to put egos aside and you need to just get to work and get the project done. Because the greater good outweighs, you know, all the, the personal egos and beefs that you have with people. And... It's just a golden opportunity, I think, that that the Sens franchise has missed out on. This was the option that the Sens were, were hoping for, but it had to go to Canada because the NCC wanted no part of the Sens. And now, and now they want a future involving the Sens, but the Sens aren't meeting them halfway. And there's also been talks of how much money Eugene Melnick has to spend on this downtown arena. Um, there was an article or there was certainly a, a release that gave us the impression a couple months ago that Melnick is willing to play, have his hockey team play in a building that he doesn't own, that he doesn't completely own. So I'm just thinking, how much money does he actually have? Does he have as much money as he, as he claims to have? And then we go to the Guy Boucher firing where Pierre Dorian says that, um, I believe on Monday when the Mark Stone trade happened, that Guy Boucher was our coach. And a couple of days later, he's gone. I'm just thinking, like, there's five weeks left in the season. 
the word is that his coaching style didn't really help the rebuild. I'm just thinking five weeks isn't going to ruin a rebuild. Like, what's the difference between five weeks and... It, it, it just boggles my mind. Some of the stuff that this organization says, and they just do a complete 360 a couple of days later. So, like, if they're not really committed to their plan of keeping Guy Boucher on board, which, in my opinion, I don't think Guy Boucher was the right fit for this team, and this was a decision they were going to have to make down the road. It's just the timing of it. It's just everything that they say. Why should the Sens fans believe what this organization says? Yeah. That's, that's the bigger question I have. Why should we believe you? Yeah, no, that's a... <laughs> It should be an interesting situation. Melnick's not the best owner for sure. He, he hasn't been the best owner in a lot of people's eyes for no. a couple of years. And he is disliked even more now. Yep. Uh, let's go to... Oh, oh, and also uh, we should touch up on uh, Guy Boucher. He was fired um, this round. He was obviously not the problem. Um, as we've mentioned before, but... Yeah, um, but Guy is, is... When he was hired, yeah. he was the right fit because this team was ready to win. They're yeah. not. So... And they, and they need guys to... They need a coach that will develop and, the rebuild, and I don't think he was the right fit for that. And it's unfortunate for him because he's yeah. a great guy. He's a great coach. He just didn't fit in very well. Uh, Mark Crawford is the interim coach for the time being. I believe that's what you were getting at. Mm. I don't know if he's that's if he's the solution either, I think someone like Troy Mann, their head coach in Belleville might be someone they look towards. Yep. Uh, they just need someone to help out the young players. Yeah. Cause he's worked with young players like Logan Brown and Drake Batherson guys that have played in the NHL in the AHL this year. And Bigmanton's doing well right now. And there are going to be guys on that AHL roster that will be a part of yep. the sentence team for years to come. So who better to coach that team than the guy that coached them in the AHL. I mean, it worked for Bruce Cassidy in Boston, right? True. And Mike Sullivan. Um, yeah. Even more so with him. Uh, but yeah, no, you're, you're right. It, uh, that makes sense in terms of, like, getting the guy from the AHL, especially with a young team and to groom him um, up. I was also... Um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, Guy Boucher... Um, it is kind of interesting because in his time, if you remember in his time in Tampa, yeah. a similar he followed a similar career uh, path as well. They made the Eastern Conference Finals the first year, then the second year they fell off the map, um, and then the third year uh, they were one of the worst teams. Um, so it's interesting there. If you, yeah, I'm sure you, also, I, yeah. What's also interesting is that not only did they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals in his first year, they were also one game away from the Stanley True. Cup Finals. True, uh, too. Yep. Um, I was there when uh, he lost that game when he was on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, yeah, by, by one goal, too. By one goal, yeah. Um, it was a nice goal, too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the... Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, but, yeah, no, I think... I think we'll probably see Guy Boucher in a, on another team pretty soon. Um, I feel like he has, I, I've heard this being said before, but like he has this like system uh, that's very different than every other ones. And it's very hard for players to build, uh, to buy into it um, year to year. Like uh, the first year they buy into it and then the second year it sort of 
stops. So, um, so I, I think there may be some issue with that, but, um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the, the team changed a lot since he was, uh, when he first got there. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, the Bruins, uh, I guess I'll make this quick cause you went on for a long time, which is fine by the way, but, um, <laughs> I, I should make this short here. So, uh, as best as I can, the Bruins, uh, play the San Jose Sharks. Uh, they beat them, uh, four to one. Logan Couture started things off, um, by scoring and then Krejci scored. Um, and then in the second period, we got, uh, Charlie McAvoy, who's, uh, picked things up as late, as of late. Jake DeBrusque with a beautiful, like he was, uh, it was a beautiful goal. He was like on the ground. Uh, the, the net was open. Uh, you kind of fooled Martin Jones there. And then Brad Marchand gets a shorthanded goal. Um, this also, this game was also notable because in the third period, uh, Zidane Uchara and Evander Kane were um, kind of got into a bit of a, a tussle there. Um, Chara did kind of start things off. Um, well, it was kind of like throughout the entire game, Evander Kane was like being kind of like he was... Uh, he got a he got penalized for roughing um, in the second period, um, and then in the third period uh, he battled Chara and Chara and Kane. They were kind of like uh, arguing the entire game. It seemed like, um, and uh, Chara like hit Kane on the ground, and then Evander Kane starts going crazy, and then he knocks Chara down to the ground, which is a hard thing to do, as as you guys know. Um, and then Chara gets back up and starts punching Evander Kane, and Evander Kane wanted nothing out of that. Uh, he didn't even throw a punch. Um, so it was kind of interesting, too, because, like, usually when when that happens, like, yeah. uh, the player just turtles down. But instead, like, you know, or just, like, stays on the ice because they don't want to, like, they don't want to fight. But instead, Chara gets back up and literally start gets to punching him and wins in the fight. So um, there was that. Evander Kane got a game misconduct too because uh, he instigated the fight. But um, it was uh, it was an interesting thing. Yeah. So he lost twice. He, he, yeah. he got the instigator and got his ass kicked. It just shows that you don't mess with Chara even if you do mess with. Even Chara. if he's forty one. Yeah. He, still six foot even, nine. Even when he, even when he, you get him to the ground, you you don't mess with him. Um, Jake, uh, then we and, have. And he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he had that smirk on his face too. He's just yeah. like, oh, I'm here to enjoy this. Yeah, no. Um, I do love. I, I having said all that, I do love Evander Kane just purely for punching out Mar, uh, Matt Cook um, a long time ago. But um, he basically. Uh, um, he's a hero in my eyes. Um, anyways, uh, the Bruins played the Lightning on Thursday. Um, this was the battle of like uh, two teams that had 15 game point streaks. Um, and um, I thought like, oh well, okay, we'll probably lose to Tampa. I was getting ready for that, but I was, you know, I was pretty excited at the same time, um, and. For some reason, the Bruins actually played 
much better than I expected them to do. Um, do, you, do you think they could have played any better than they did? Um, well, I mean, they could have shut them out, yeah. But it's, <laughs> uh, but uh, I I will say like, though, like the, the shot yeah. clock was so lopsided though. No, no, yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to get to that, uh, but. Um, yeah, so let's go with the scoring first. Uh, things start off with, in the second period, Jake DeBras scores on the power play. Uh, Noel Chari, uh, who had, like, he had some, he just had, like, dental surgery. Um, he had some teeth, so he's wearing, like, a cage, um, a, a mask cage, and uh, he scored there, which was, it was kind of funny. Um, and then Noel Chari also got an assist um, on Bergeron's goal, um, and then Brad Marchand scores um, as well. Um, and then late on um, in the third period, Anthony Sorelli uh, makes it 4-1, but the game was kind of over at that point. Uh, yeah, the Lightning didn't look like the Lightning that I thought they were going to be, um, but uh, the shot the shot desperation was 41-21 to uh, 21, uh, Bruins. Um, but having said that, like, uh, Louis Domingue was phenomenal. He was amazing there. There was parts of the, there was, there was parts of the games where I, I thought Domingue was like, like the Lightning were going to win purely because Domingue was phenomenal. Um, but that didn't end up happening in the third period. It was just a barrage of goals that kept on happening. Um, and then, yeah, Tuka Rask also played well. I think there was also like a point where like Tampa played the game the day before, so they, but at the same time like that's not really an excuse because, um you know if you're tired you're tired but, whatever, um so I don't like if this is going to be a playoff round, um it probably won't be something like this mostly because Doming won't be the goalie at the time. But also because like the lightning wouldn't be there's not going to be a back-to-back type situation like this so um it was a good win it was a good like moment change it's enough to put him up the bruins up on the top one um over tampa and and all that stuff but um i do still think tampa will beat the bruins in a uh seven game series uh if it comes down to that um and then, lastly, we have the Bruins playing the Devils. This was Marchand's 666th game, uh, career game, uh, and he's playing the Devils. Um, he also had 666 uh, career uh, penalty minutes, and Brad Marchand got the only goal in the game um, as well. He also had a chance to get a penalty shot um, he was like tripped, uh, but uh, he didn't score on there. So I thought, it was like, oh, of course, you know, this is going to be Brad Marchand's game if he scores there, but it's not going to happen. Um, it didn't happen, but he at least got the only goal in the game. Uh, Tuga Rask also had 20 saves again, but this time it was a shutout um, and all that stuff. Um, and then, uh, I mentioned this before, uh, the Bruins are on a 15-game point streak without Pasternak, um, which is even more impressive. Uh, they have not lost in the month of February in regulation, um, so that's impressive too. 
Um, I, I, at this moment, I'm just trying not to jinx them. I, I feel like I'm saying too nice stuff to the, about them yet, but um, I do like what I'm seeing. Uh, Marcus Johansson, we also got, we mentioned that yesterday, but um, it should be like, you know, we filled the depth roles. I thought the Bruins should have gotten um, maybe Gustav Nyquist, but the prices on all these guys at the same time seems like um, uh, we're better off just, uh, going with, uh, Coyle and Johansson, because those guys aren't terrible players either, um, and they fill a role, that's all we need them to do, we don't need them to be the guy, we just need them to fill a role, so, um, there's that, um, yep, yeah. uh, the Bruins play Carolina on Tuesday, Flo uh, Florida on Thursday, and Ottawa on Saturday, um, all home games. Um, oh, and Pittsburgh on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, they're all home games. Uh, the the Pittsburgh game is a, an away game, but um, yeah, we'll see there. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's about it. Um, uh, there, there is actually one thing that I want to bring up. Um, I think we mentioned Pasternak except for another two weeks. Oh, yeah. yeah. But also, uh, Marcus Johansson, believe it or not, the first ever Boston Bruin to wear the number 90. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, for, it, 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 for, for a team like Boston that's been in this league forever, you would think that someone would have worn at least – like there, at least every single jersey number from one to ninety-nine would have been worn at least once, but no Bruin has ever worn number ninety until Marcus Johansson showed up. So interesting, I didn't know that. Also, I guess I forgot to mention that Marcus Johansson. I guess I mentioned this yesterday, but Marcus Johansson and Brad Marchand had a bit of a history. It seems like uh, things have kind of um, uh, stopped. Like they both uh, apologized, or they both. Uh, you know, mended their ways uh, now that they're teammates with each other. But um, there's that. Also, I guess Brad Marchand, Chris was telling me off the air that Brad Marchand, um, he thought that Brad Marchand had a dirty play at the end of the game um, against the Devils. And um, it looks like no one's really talking about it except for Chris um, is. So. Um, I don't think he's getting suspended for that the last I checked, but it seemed unintentional to me. Um, there was nothing really Marshawn could have done. It's just like, it's Marshawn being Marshawn, and it, it obviously angers uh, opposing fans whenever he does stuff like that, but it's, but it's basically, if they were to suspend him, it would have been like uh, you were suspending him for being Mar Brad Marshawn. Um, I, don't, I don't think it was suspendable. Sorry, Chris. Um, anyways, uh, that's it. Uh, that wraps it up for us. Um, yeah, I look forward to Steve's rant um, uh, coming this week as well. Uh, but you guys have two, uh, four hours, or two episodes of four hours content for us here. Um, now, um, I uh, you can check us at Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, we're on SoundCloud and um, iTunes. Uh, we're working on getting on Spotify. We'll see. Um, and that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 162 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.